This podcast contains adult language. DigitalDaren.com. Today is May 4th, 2020. May the 4th be with you. Shout out my Star Wars fans. But during this pandemic, we're, you know, coming up with ideas and just doing different things um, as related to topics. And it start, this podcast actually started with a conversation um, Calhoun and I had. Calhoun's on today. What's up, homie? My man, what's going on, bro? Chilling. This podcast actually started... Um, a conversation me and you had and it started because we were talking about basically the Falcons draft right and so we have a separate podcast for that so go listen to that where we basically break down and give you know grades for the Falcons draft but we talked about like at a high level I don't think anybody was like over the moon with their draft right like people were, like cool like the the best thing people liked about it was that they drafted a hometown kid right but one nobody like hell yeah go get that boy you know what I'm saying so I think the people. I, think, was, I think the only thing that was good about that draft was the guy uh, hopefully paying out to be something in the second round. The uh, D lineman that we got from Auburn. Yeah. So I think that. I think people are just like, whoa, on this draft. And so it led us down this road and we just started talking about Thomas Dimitrov and his inability to draft, or the Falcons' inability to draft. And we went through a couple of years of drafts. And we saw some real, some good drafts and some real stinkers. So we're debating on making this a whole series to where we go to a particular year. Talk about the draft. Talk about. Hold on, hold on. You mean a good draft? You say some good drafts, dude? What you mean? Like maybe you could say a couple of good drafts. But looking at the draft history of the Falcons, they're pretty consistent. Consistently bad, right? Just all god awful, terrible. So we're debating on whether making this a series. Like one thing I can guarantee is that this will run the fa- during Falcons football week. Whenever that happens this year, with what's going on in the world, we this podcast will run. Then if we make this a series, we might run it once a month, and so it may be a countdown to Falcons football week where we do a draft. You know, where we rate the draft podcast each one. Either way, we're figuring it out. But we started with this one. It's two thousand. It's the 2012 Atlanta Falcons NFL Draft. Because not only is this probably the worst draft in Falcons history, this may be the worst draft in NFL history. It's the kind of GM fired him. And this is when, 2012 is when Thomas Dimitrov was doing all the picking. And so that's the whole that's the whole thing of this. His draft picks were so bad, he got a coach fired and kept his job. His draft pick was so bad that they had to bring in multiple G and former GMs to help him, a scouting firm, and another coach who have a say so on what he wants on the field. That's how bad his drafting was with this team. Like he drafts like Bill Belichick, but don't have a Bill Belichick to run it, or you know, don't have an eye for it. And I'm going to tell you something else about this draft. It's a pattern that I'm seeing here in all of this draft. He drafts the same positions. He just keeps missing on them. But he's drafting the same positions every damn near every draft. 
So I think that goes to a, I think that goes to a bigger picture. So I think that, you know, the problem, I ain't gonna say the problem. One of the things the Falcons have been during this whole Thomas Dimitrov run is, hey, let's value offense over defense, right? So if you're taking that approach and spending all of your money on one side of the ball, when it comes to the other side of the ball, you like, oh shit, the cheapest way to get people is to draft people. And that's a sound strategy if you were doing it correctly, right? So, like, if you wanted to go down this path of, hey, the offense would be the money, right? The Julios, the Mats, the Devontae's, whoever it is, right? You know what I'm saying? Back then, they did the Michael Turners. They did the, you know, the um, Steven Jacksons. If that's the side of the ball you're going to spend money on, cool. You got to be able to hit on your draft. And that's a problem with the Falcons. They don't hit on their draft. And, you know, you need people who... One reason Baltimore is so good, they get people who stay in their system six, seven, eight years, right? You know what I'm saying? And so, and it's always the next man up. So you have that generation teaching the next generation, right? So like, there's a way to do business. And if you're going to be limited coaching, limited talent, you got to have a system that teaches the right way to do things. And they've never done that. And plus, they never spent real money on the defensive side of the ball. Like, in my opinion, they always come up short. So that's why they're always driving the same position because they always try to get people on the cheap. And they go from there. It's just like, perfect example. I did my house, tried to do the flooring on my house a couple of years back. Everybody who knows me knows how this went. Tried to save some money, figure I can do it myself, right? That didn't work. So I got brought in. It was, hold on, let's preface this. It was hilarious to see an IT wizard try to do a home, such an extensive home project. Like that's that's not putting a faucet in or nothing. That is, you literally had to rip your floors up and then lay floors down, and it was amazingly hilarious. Please continue. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was so bad I had to get somebody to come and fix it, right? But they did such a cheap. They were so cheap, and I did a shitty job. I had to come get somebody else to fix their fuck up, right? So, and that's why, so you cost you more in the end when you was trying to cheapskate. And tell them how much of a disaster it was. You had that goddamn glue everywhere. It was a go place. That shit be all in your clothes, your ears. It was on your doors. Like it was everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, basically long story short, because I didn't do it right first, I paid way more in the end. And that's what the Falcons have done on defense. Because they pretty much cut corners on that side of the ball, they put them in the position to keep redrafting, redrafting, redrafting. Because let's be real, it's only four position categories on the field, right? Like D-tackle, D-end, linebacker, and corner or safety, D-B, right? So, like, and you keep drafting people who don't work. Of course, you're going to be in a situation where you got to keep drafting the same type positions. And that's been the problem with the Falcons under Dimitrov. Like, name a defensive player who we've got who can you beat, but he like, he's an eight-year pro or a six-year pro or a nine-year pro. You know what I'm saying? Every now and again, he hit. When he was doing it, none. Um, when, when, Rob, when Dan Quinn came in, that's when things changed a little bit. So that's when you got your... Uh, honestly, that's when we got our Grady Jarrett's. That's when you got your Deion Jones. That's but them players are five years in, maybe six. This may be their fifth year going on that six year. So, yeah, like, think about when he came in 2016, he drafted Keanu Neal, Deion Jones, and Austin Hooper, and Devontae Campbell. All those was pretty much, they were hits. They wasn't missing. The year before that, he drafted Grady Jarrett. He drafted Tevin Coleman. So, it changed when they took it out of his hands. When they took, when they ended up taking, the drafting away from Thomas Mitrov, 
then things change a little bit. Now, we're starting to go down this Thomas Dimitrov road yet again. Uh, so we need to be careful with that. But everything changed then. So but Before that plane came in, it was a mess. We're going to do like Slaughterhouse said. We're going to directly indirect him. So, like, we're going to get to him indirectly through his moves or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So that's one of the things. And if you do listen, go check out the Thomas Dimitrov Report Card podcast. We have we ran that podcast several times, and it's basically well, we give him a grade for all his moves for the year. It's episode one fifty eight, and we, we run it multiple times. It's such a great podcast, one of our iconic podcasts. And so, I think that if we turn this into a series, we'll basically be showing how shit of a job he's done through his moves or whatever. We've already talked. We did a podcast on his best move, the Julio Jones trade. Which I don't think is that great of a move in retrospect. But we'll talk more about that later. Let's go on to get to 2012 draft. Well, hold on. We can talk about that now because the Julio Jones trade is what affected this draft uh, directly. Okay. Because along with the draft, that's how we lost our first round pick. Julio Jones included. So uh, I don't know if we could, you know, add that with this and be like, well, it's Julio Jones, which I disagree with. But because of the Julio Jones trade in 2011, we started picking it. <clears throat> so let me ask you this. You just made a great point. Thank you for that. Shortly, was the Julio Jones trade worth it to you? Uh, I mean, you got a Hall of Fame player. and You got a, a playmaker and a difference maker. It would have been well worth it if, again, we had the person who could draft. Because coming off that year, here's a problem with them as well, and this probably keeps his job. We was a, it was a ten and six year in in 2011. They went ten and six. So when you go ten and six, you don't have a whole bunch of needs. All you need to do is hit on a couple of players that propel you to go to the next level, and then maybe that year or the year after is when you go your Super Bowl or whatever it is. Um, but that's not what they did. Instead, they just drafted a whole bunch of trash. And no stars. And you can't have that. You can't do that if you're going to make those kind of moves. That's why one of the things we always talk about, it's time to break shit up and restart. It's trying to do a rebuild. Not if you got this motherfucker on the staff, you can't. Not when you got that kind of GM. How do you rebuild with a GM that's, that's that incompetent and an owner that's that oblivious? You can't. So I think that... I'm going to be Arthur Blank's defender right now. I think that the problem is, like you said, because they spent so much money on the offense, and we both know that that can hit every year, every other year, right? So, like, every time they're in trouble, they just go 10-6 and six and save everybody's ass, right? Like, this has been probably the f- – think about it. They went to the Super Bowl in, what, 2016, right? 2017. 2016. The next year they went to, what, the second round of the playoffs? They lost to Philly. They lost to Philly. But I thought they beat the Rams. They did. It's the second round. We yeah. went to we went and beat a, a round saying that we wasn't supposed to be in, in LA. Yeah. Well, it wasn't LA at the time. Yeah. We beat the Rams, right? You know what I'm saying? So like I think that those things, so think about that. That ain't that's not even three years ago. Like those things keep you around, right? Because you could just say, Oh, we had some misses that year. And I if I'm off the blank. I can see, you know, if I'm off the blank and I don't feel like going through another search again for a GM man or a coach, 
You're right. You took us to a team who very rarely goes to the Super Bowl. You're taking us to the Super Bowl. You follow it up with another winning playoff season. Okay, it may have been the hiccup along the road. So I can see, I told you this before, Dimitrov ain't going nowhere. I can see how he sells that off the blank. And the problem with the Falcons, I think, holistically, is that the enemy of great is good. And Georgia teams define this so many different ways, right? You know what I'm saying? I think the Falcons are another definition of this. I think they're Good enough to be good, frisk. Not good enough to be frisky. They won't really win anything, but they'll get you close enough to make you say, "Hey, if something bounces our way, we can win it." But you really can't win it. And I think that that's how Dimitrov keeps his job consistent. But the problem is, so it's, it's also is that that goes to foresight, and that's what goes to what make great organizations great. You know when to pull the trigger. You know when to bow. You know when to change up. And as long as you stagnant, standing still, what happen is you'll start going backwards. I.e., you went to the Super Bowl, you followed up with a second-round dismal performance in the playoffs, and then you go 79, which you can blame on injuries, but then the next year you go 79 again. And the fans was clamoring for the jobs of both your head coach and your GM to the point where the dome was empty. The stadium arena, whatever they want to call it. So... At some point, you have to make – that's the whole reason why you're in the position you're in. It's just like if you have a bad worker, but you don't feel like going through the hiring and the training process. So you keep this mediocre, mediocre worker who can do stuff on time sometimes. Sometimes it's done right, sometimes it's done wrong. But every now and again, it's done perfectly. And then what usually happens is if you have a contract, you'll end up losing the contract because of the bad play – because of the bad um, performance of that worker. So it's the same with Thomas Dimitrov. And – the, the thing with the NFL is the window is so small. You got a wide receiver you drafted in 2011. Can't keep him. Now, we can't do like Jerry Cross and want to cut him out early. But how long are you going to keep him and how long are you going to keep an aging quarterback? Everybody's on the team getting a year older. That's why you have to infuse that young talent with that veteran talent. That's why you have to build up better positions. And the reason why we keep failing is he keeps drafting piss poor linemen and piss poor DBs. You only draft two positions the whole time. If you look at he draft shitty linemen and he draft shitty DBs and he dropped them late rounds and early rounds. That's how we waste our picks if you look at these picks. It's unbelievable what he's doing. It's amazing. We're almost 14 minutes and we haven't even started talking about the 2012 draft. We've just given a retrospective on how bad Dimitrov has been. We showed you how bad Dimitrov has been, right? He's, he's full of dope. He he is that Nicky Bond dope that's in that blue pack that was in the that was in the movie with Frank Lucas about Frank Lucas because we was talking about this yesterday off off of uh, off the podcast and you one of the things like I remember Matt used to love him and he was like he has been the GM of the year. All that stuff is fool's gold. What this cat is doing. His his picking got a coach fired. Mike Smith. Dan Quinn is not a better coach than Mike Smith. At all. But what Darren Quinn has done is, and what Thomas Dimitrov have done, not Thomas Dimitrov, Arthur Blank has gotten people in to draft. Because we, he literally loaded this team up with trash. You remember when he first got here? And we had the Patrick Kearney's and Grady Jarrett's and Abraham and how he went, Rod Coleman. Remember how he went through that? Oh, he run? took that with a sledgehammer. He went through it. Bashed it. And he made a comment about that at the time. I forgot what it was, but he made a comment about that. Like he basically that was he came in with that intent, right? Right. He did some stuff on the offense, but him doing that set us back for the next ten 
years. Him doing that with defense, our defense is pretty good. We need help on the offense. All he need to do is draft Matt Ryan and make an offensive draft. He took a sledgehammer. He won't resign on one. He took a sledgehammer to that defense. That came in with a whole bunch of no name and trash. And next thing you know, 10 years later, we're still trying to get that defense together. That's how bad of a GM he is. All right, so we presented our thesis, right? So if this is you defending your doctorate or whatever, we've presented our theory, our thesis. Let's start with facts to get going with this because we're 15 and a half minutes in. Let's go on and talk about some of the – let's talk about the 2012 draft. That's the whole reason for this podcast, right? So let's go on and start with it. And you noted it best. You started we, – we didn't have a first-round draft for the Julio Jones trade. We managed to do a mini-podcast for Patreon listeners about was it worth it or whatever. We've already done a podcast kind of on it, but we may tackle that specifically. So in totality – can you get an A plus draft without having a first rounder? Oh, uh, you can. You got to nail it. You can. You got to nail it, though. Okay. What What do you think is a ceiling for us grade wise for a dra- when your draft doesn't have a first round? Probably, honestly, probably a B, a B plus. I was thinking B plus. I was thinking if you draft correctly, right? You know, a draft with no first round. If you get Two starters and one, maybe two contributors, you've done well for yourself. You know what I'm saying? Hey, if you, if you didn't have a first round and you got two starters out of that draft, that's an A. If you, got two, if, you, if you get two Pro Bowlers out of a draft with no first round, your GM is a wizard. Well, not even Pro Bowlers, just good, solid starters, right? So, like, I, I was going through my um, football cards and I started separating them in the Hall of Famers and non Hall of Famers. And then one of my football cards is a dude named Thomas Smith. He played cornerback for the Buffalo Bills. And I have his rookie card. He stayed in the league 13 years. He's played like seven for Buffalo, six for Carolina, something like that, right? And when you go back, and they basically had like, I went and looked them up. And when you went back to all the coaches and articles, he led, he was always like in the top five of passes defended, but he never had any interceptions. Like his interception count was real low, but his passes defend count was real high. And all the coaches basically said the same thing. If we counted passes defense, he'd be a three or four time pro bowler, but he's a solid starter. So like, if you get somebody like that in this type of draft, you're hitting on all cylinders, right? Like just somebody solid, you know what I'm saying? Like as much as we don't like Alfred, somebody can step above Alfred in a draft like this. You all right. You, you started a good path. So I think that again I agree with you. I think the path I don't I think a B plus is the ceiling, but I don't think it's that hard to get to a solid B or a B minus. I think there's a easy I think there's a real path to a B B minus. Hell, even a C. Right. I, I agree. Because you gotta think about it. K Z is like a six rounder. Grady Jarrett is a fourth rounder. I mean you can get it easily. I mean we we hate on Ricardo Allen. We had on Ricardo Allen. What was he? A third rounder? Like he's a he's a Allen was a fifth fifth rounder. Exactly. Ricardo Allen is a, a he's a contributor, right? Regardless of what we think about him, he's out there, and he the you know he's out there essentially, right? Randy Jerry was a fifth rounder. Cuban Terrell Coleman was a third rounder. I mean, you can you can hit you can hit on some of those uh, if you do right. If, but you got to have a mean scout department and a good team. So let's go. We. We rehashing the same argument. Let's talk about the first draft pick. So the Fal- the Falcons' first draft pick in the second round 
was Peter Kunz, old lineman from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin, great, dominant old lineman, right? Yep, they had him right. That was one of our needs. Uh, we needed an old line lineman. Um, they had him rate pretty high. He, he was 6'5", 314. They had him a great size, long arms, so he moved good. They had him at some good stuff. Uh, and, and a lot of people gave that like a B. So that's the other part of that. When you draft them like that, you don't have a first round. Your, all your picks need to be A. You, need, you don't need to be reaching for nobody. So I think that also, I mean, you just hit on a good point. Draft grades are extremely forgiving, right? Especially because most times they give them too early, right? So, like, most people just say the night of, hey, this draft was a, a B-plus draft or a C-minus draft. Like, they very rarely give people Fs or Ds or whatever, right? Because you don't know because the player never haven't played it down yet. But I think that in retrospect, you look at it from a standpoint of, hey, they feel the need. They feel the need with a player from a good school who produces good linemen. Okay, what are the things he did well in school? What are the things he does well now? And, you know, Peter Combs, as good as he was, he played center for his whole career, but they started to make guard. So, like, and I know that's where you try to hide people at. What the stupid is that? Huh? Go ahead. I'm saying that's one of them things, right? Like, I know you try to hide players, your linemen at guard. But that's kind of hard to do for a center. One, centers are normally smaller, more agile people, right? Like on the line. A lot of times your center is the most smallest, more ag- most agile, right? Right. So, like, you're taking a player who's, you know, out of big people to run or the little for the most part and move him to a place where he has to be bigger because the interior linemen are bigger than the outside people. So, right there, that logic in and of itself doesn't make sense. So, needless to say, Peter Coons, how long do you think he stayed in the league? Not with the Falcons in the league. What? How long? He played with the in. He played with the Falcons, okay, which so, is. So let's say this: second round pick, lineman. Let's say you go at least five years, right? You would think, right? I mean, I would. You lineman in the league because you can be on the bench. You could be. A, you could be a utility lineman. He already was a center. So you can easily be ten years as a line, a no name lineman in the league. C five three fourteen that pays itself. That that movie writes itself. That he played for the Falcons from two thousand twelve to two thousand fourteen. And where he where he go then? He was out the league. That's but okay. Yeah, in the words of BG, I don't even have no more words for you. Don't even make no fucking sense. As a lineman? He was released on September 1st, 2015. So he played the whole 2012-2013 season. 2013-2014 season. And that was it. You're that bad. You're that bad. That's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. So I guess that's going to kick it off. Now we know where we're going with this. So, so that was an epic fail. So let's give that draft a grade. I mean, that, that draft pick is an F, right? I, well, I would say F minus. F minus. And you're gonna, we're going to talk about a couple of themes that run through this. It's a couple of things at the end we're going to talk about, and this is why we're going to bash Dimitrov. So F minus for Peter Combs, right? Our second round pick. 
hold on, let's let's be specific too. Not just because he was on the league for two years, not just because you moved him out of his position, which the Falcons are great at drafting someone who's been playing this their whole life and know this man want to make him versatile and put him somewhere else. I.e. Vic Beasley, I.e. Devontae KZ, i.e. whomever you want to bring. But this isn't a skill play. Linemen run deep for the most part. A lot of times in the draft. This isn't no high profile wide receiver, running back, or quarterback. I mean, just the basic dynamics of football. You got more linemen on the field than anybody else, right? Right. So. Right. And, and, and they're not one of those skilled, ooh, oh, it's not the shiny pick. So you should have hit on a second round lineman. That should have been a hit. So now we're moving to third round. 91st pick of the draft, Lamar Holmes, Southern Mississippi. And let me read Lamar Holmes. He not he flabby, but he's not sick. To quote Tupac. Right. Say it again. He's flabby, but he's not sick. So to paraphrase Tupac. So let me read you this article from 2013 from the Falcon Hall. To say that this pick confused some Falcons fans would be an understatement. When the Falcons selected Holmes in the middle of the middle late third, many were left scratching their heads, asking who? Very little tape was available for Lamar Holmes, and few people knew much about him except this. He's a large, large man. The fact that Holmes was considered at best a late fourth into fifth round talent caused many to be concerned. That was a bit of a reach. At 6'6 and over 330 pounds, Holmes meets the definition of a beast of a man. His long 35 and a quarter inch arms and 10 inch hands also stood out. After the draft, words started trickling in about Holmes. Team captain for his work ethic. Dominant East-West game. Athletic player with good pass protection chops. Unfortunately, fans barely saw Holmes during the 2012 season as he started off camps injured and would barely see any playing time during the preseason or regular season. That said, the coaching staff seems pretty high on Holmes, and the release, recent release of Tyson Claybo has driven many to speculate that Holmes will get a shot at right tackle position in 2013. If he can secure the position as a starter and show progress, this reach will become a good selection. So I'm a bleacher instead of alcoholic, and this that's who rated the prospect. They gave this one a D. Said Holmes wasn't right in the top 20 offensive tackles on any of the major draft reports and his limited upside. There were better options that tackle on the board. Uh, they said the Falcons traded down in third round seven spots to grab him. Uh, he's another second offensive lineman draft. So you see here again what this dumbass do. He went O line, O line, right back to back. He had other needs, but this is what you do. And then you, it's stupid. Uh, he said he has exceptional size. Uh, for However, he's not fluid in motion, which you speak about what you need in the center, how they're usually smaller. Uh, your guards are usually your, your more heavier. Your tackles are more mobile. They're more athletic, like, because of what they got to they gotta use. They usually they can move. That's a big man. He's like, oh, shit, I didn't know he was that nimble. They have to because the, the person who they're blocking at the end is usually very quick and moving. So they have to move and they have to be good with their feet. So not being fluid in motion is a huge red flag. He has problems with mobile targets and is very raw from a technique standpoint. Can't make this your second pick. I'm not going to read all the stuff that they have listed here because you read yours, and it's pretty much the same. Uh, his, he displays the ability to create a slight pop in the contact run game, which you're not even trying to do a run game. Uh, gets upright but uses length to stick through contact. Isn't real natural on the move, sticking on slide-down blocks. 
This was not a good pick. From start to finish. Horrible pick. Horrible pick. But maybe he blossomed. Maybe he showed him something. Maybe he was he left Atlanta and became the starter that we all knew that he was gonna be. Right? So is that what happened? No, he was with the Falcons from 2012 to 2015. So. Then where did he go after that? Let me read this. On on December 5th, 2015, Holmes was released with the injury settlement. So surely some other team wants him, right? At least a sniff around, right? On February 12th, 2016, Holmes signed with the Detroit Lions. On May 13th of 2016, the Lions released Holmes. That's the end of Larry, um, Mr. Holmes. Larry Holmes, yeah. You can He's playing that. with, well, now he plays with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. So he's made a good career out in the CFL. We're using these moments of silence so the listeners can process how horrible and what role we're on here. That's ridiculous. That's pathetic, at least. Larry Holmes, a.k.a. Lamar Holmes, was flabby and sick. He was big and tall, and he got injured and couldn't stay on the field, and he wasn't good to begin with. No shot at him, because I'm sure he can do what he... I can't go against it, I'm sure. But for what he is and what he was brought in to do, epic fail. Don't underestimate yourself. You probably can't go against him. Yeah, he's trash. But let me say this. That sounds like something a high school coach would do. Hey, son, you big. Come play football for us. Right. You can't coach up 6'6". Can't coach that. Exactly. Not a professional ran football. When your biggest thing is he's big, there's a fucking problem somewhere. Like, it shouldn't be he's big. It should be he dominated this group of people. And that goes back to the Peter Cones thing. As bad as a pick Peter Cones wound up being, he was at least part of a functional unit. So you can see somebody drafting him coming out of college. And part of that is the Falcons moved somebody who probably shouldn't have been moved. But at least it made some sense. Monty Ball was running for 2,000 yards every year. He was part of that line to help him get it. Wisconsin known for their line. This made no fucking sense in the moment. Nobody understood this one from start to finish. So which grade do you give it? Another elf bias. <laughs> Let's go to the next pick. So we didn't have a fourth This is the fun one. We didn't have a fourth round pick. It did. Come on, lay it on. So you know who our fifth round pick is? Who was it? At 157th overall, the Falcons select Brady Ewing, fullback, Wisconsin. Sounds like another winner. Let me go on and read this one. Another, and this is the Falcoholic who is biased towards the Falcons. Right? Consider, keep that in mind. This is a thing that's biased toward the Falcons. Another. This is an NFL network. This is. Hometown discount kind of conversation. This is like Buddy on Major League who just lured the Indians to the death of him writing the article. Right. Another head-scratching pick, Ewing was considered the best fullback available in the draft. 
but many question why a pick would be used on a fullback at all when the position is becoming less and less relevant in the NFL. This was written in 2013, people. That said, Ewing was an intriguing as a good lead blocker, but also a capable receiver. Unfortunately, Ewing went down early in the preseason with an ACL injury and missed the entire 2012 season. It's interesting you said that because one of the things he has is he has large hands, pops out of stand, displays nice knee bend and black control to coordinate blocking fits. Apparently not. Blue a tie trying to bend the knee. They have they have this rate. They rated this a D on Bleacher. Atlanta continues to boast his running game and also adds a few twists to uh cut <laughs> cutter. We got that. So we're with an offense. You don't have to it's amazing how the future how the future catches up with the past, isn't it? <laughs> you don't have to sign on special team to show he's worth the role. I uh, say they selected him. <laughs> they just seen Wisconsin games and got enamored with everything. Money ball. But that but money ball wouldn't be shit without them. Now we're gonna get everybody who money ball hey. It's dumb. Uh say so he had good leadership skills, punishing lead blocker, good hands on the backfield, and beneficial in the dirt cutter system. Which he wasn't. Secondly, why are you drafting a running back when you don't have enough pick? I mean, a fullback. You're drafting a fullback? So you went two offensive linemen and a fullback. And you still wasn't no run-dominant team. But they drafted like it's the 87 Bears or something. <laughs> the fuck are you doing? It was 2012. You still got a quarterback throwing for 4,000 yards. What are you doing? And just think, you trying to put Peter Cuz and Larry Holmes in front of him? Not to mention who he already had in front of him. Let me let you hear this. Sam Baker, who was a bust. <laughs> Justin Blaylock, nothing. Tom McClure was good. And Tyson Claybo. That's who you had blocking for with Peter Cuz. But Tom McClure was on the downside of his career, right? It, he, cause he retired like two years later or something. Well, I mean, at that point, yeah, but he still was our best lineman. Because you got Sam Baker, Justin Blaylock, Peter Cuz, and Tyson Claybo. <laughs> And you thought you was going to run? Unbelievable. That's what you had in a passing offense with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Roddy White, and Tony Gonzalez. You really trying to, you really, that's what you're doing? So they gave it a D that night, but this morning we're going to give it a F minus. So before you even get to that, how long do you think he played in the NFL? Oh, a fullback? So far, we've given two and three years here. I imagine he didn't go three years. Did he go three years? He played for the Falcons from 2012 to 2013. One year? And played for the Jacksonville Jaguars for 2014. Remember, he tore his ACL, so he didn't play none the 2012 year. And this man kept his job? I need a boss like Arthur Blank. So what grade would you get at? Uh, L. Blank is... I'm going to quote you. I'm going to get that a Z. They don't even make... Just don't come back to school, son. Go sell you some dope. Go be a criminal. Because that's all we can do. That's all that you can mount to. You have no future. But I believe in myself. You shouldn't. You're going nowhere fast. They let you go to the 10th grade and you still don't know what 2 plus 2 is. Here's my gun. Go behind the building. Help yourself. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, man. This is ridiculous. This is pathetic. This this person should not. This person should not. It's a waste. 
Look at what he wastes. He wastes Michael Turner, Julio Jones, Ryder White, Tony Gonzalez. Waste. John Nate, you don't even want to know this defense. It was a waste of drive, and there was holes where you could have helped. You could have done some more things here. The team was good enough to one or two pieces. You were in there like swimwell. Instead, you fuck it. We're already on a roll. I imagine it's going to get better than this. Please, what's the next one? We had two pits in the in the fifth round. So oh, okay. at, at the one the 164th pick is Jonathan Massaqua, defensive end from Troy. This is probably the best pick of the draft. He actually had some career. I'm gonna read what they say here. It said Atlanta was able to effectively uh, uh, alter opposing passing attacks as well as they would like. Mascar would come in and learn from John A. Brown. We had a tight end work for his final rotation. He's a bit on the size for the position. Uh, one thing about it, okay, this is B. He was from Troy. Mascar is a strong and elusive rush specialist, but is also adept at tracking down the ball in the run game. He also shows good effort and can be quick to get around offensive line. So, so they gave it a B. Let's talk about this, because this is actually probably, he played for the Falcons from 2012 to 2014. He played for the Tennessee Titans practice squad for 2015. The Kansas City Chiefs practice squad for 2016. The Birmingham Iron in 2019. The Calgary Stats. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, that last one was who? <laughs> the Birmingham Iron. It gets better. The Birmingham laundromat. What was this? The Birmingham Iron. In 2019, he Played for the Calgary Stampeders in 2019, the Dallas Renegades in 2020, and now his most recent stop was with the D.C. Defenders in the XFL in 2020. I mean, he's getting around like a freak bitch, isn't it? Well, that's how like semi-pro Canadian League, AFL, and XFL. So he got a dream. So his career NFL stats was 70 tackles, six sacks for his career. I give that a thumbs up. Way to go, Thomas Mitra. So his stats for the Falcons: he had two sacks his rookie year, four sa- I mean, no sacks his rookie year, four sacks his second year, two sacks his third year. And Jonathan Mesco got good playing time. I remember watching him trash, but amazingly, he wasn't as bad as the trash as the other one. So I give him a F plus. <laughs> I'm not going to give anybody who played for the Birmingham Iron uh, a fucking C. I'm a little more gracious than you. I'm going to give him a D minus. I think that draft pick was a D minus. This is somebody actually got something from on the team. Who played some. Yeah. Like you said, you remember Jonathan Massaquai a little bit. So he gets a D minus. So far, so far we're F, 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 D minus. No, I'm in F minus, F minus, F plus. So, sixth round. 192nd pick, Charles Mitchell, strong safety, Mississippi State. A high-character player who projects well as a special teams contributor and backup strong safety. You can start right there. Whenever they come in talking about your character instead of your football abilities, <laughs> you already know what you get. 
But it's a six-round pick, right? Like, you just want somebody to be a, a solid backup. Somebody get hurt, he could play for a couple of games, right? Yeah, that's true. He has one career NFL tackle. He played with the Falcons one year, 2012. Six-round pick or not, that's not acceptable. Especially in the draft that you have to nail majority of your picks. Even if he is a career special teamer, even if he is just a backup for years to come, Charles Mitchell should be. I imagine he's not even in the league. Is that a fair assessment? Of course. He, he played for the Falcons for 2012. He tried out for Denver in 2014 and made it to the practice squad or something. That's it. Only two years in the league, period. They gave us a B-minus grade on Bleacher. B-minus the Falcons. Brought in some depth and strong safety. He's an experienced three-year starter. Mitchell can be a solid backup in the NFL for the Falcons, but will be initially tested as a special teamer. That's where he can make his mark and eventually make the team. He cannot. Bleacher, no, that was wrong. Elf minus for me. What do you get from that? Elf minus. So, like you said, it best. If nothing else, he should be a solid special teams contributor. Yeah, that's what you're looking for at that point. The last pick in the seventh round, two foot forty nine at all, is Travion Robertson. Robertson, a D tackle from South Carolina. We don't even have to. We know this probably won't make it. What, what, I don't even know who that is. I never even heard of him. I ain't about the last one either. So let's I talk about this. He actually stayed on the Falcons for two years, went to Seattle for a year, and went to Washington the same year. So I guess he got traded three times in the same year. But he actually has five career tackles in his career. In his career? Yeah. How many years did he play? 2012. He played three years and had five career tackles. Wow. Wow, that's terrible. But he's a seven-round pick, right? And unlike the rest of these guys, he's one of the few people other teams had interest in. But still, you should at least, if you're a seven-round, you should get as, as many tackles as a round you pick, though. Hmm. Pick in the seven-round, you should at least have seven tackles, you know, I I get it to see, actually. I give it a D minus. I give it a C. A C minus. I think seven rounds are just hell mirrors in general. So if you get anything from any one of them, that's okay. I agree, but the only reason I'm giving it a D minus because it goes with the whole draft and the whole. We, we couldn't afford to miss on the draft, and they missed on the draft. Terrible. And so somewhere, somewhere was going to have to be a, a, a signing moment somewhere. Uh, I'm looking at some of the seven-round picks they've had before. Uh, you got all these. <laughs> nah. Oh, for Said Olukun, he was up. No, he was six, not seven. So, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, all these seven-round picks are trash. So, uh, please continue. So I give it a fact as a C for that, a C minus. I give him a D minus too. Jason Sullen, DJ Sullen, yeah, it was all trash. I give it a, a D minus uh, still. 
so in conclusion, the 2012 draft as a whole, what would you give? Uh, F fucking minus. We're up here. It's so bad. We got to give a seventh rounder who made five tackles a C or a D or whatever. That's probably arguably their he best got, pick. He got both of our best grades. He got our best grade out of the whole draft. There are two things I wanted the listeners to recognize in here. One, nobody else wanted these motherfuckers that the Falcons had. Two, none of these motherfuckers lasted over three years. None of them got to finish out their rookie contract. That's an embarrassment. Not one motherfucker. Not one. You wanna know the you wanna know the the most impressive thing? What? Wanna know? No, no, I think it's probably top five, at least top ten, worst draft ever on any NFL team. But after this draft, two, three years later, with armed with that information, the GM is still here. They fired the coach the next year. They fired the coach this year, I think. It was either this year, no, the next year, 2013, because Dan Quinn came in 2014. No, he didn't. Dan Quinn came in 2015, because his first bit was Javit Beasley. Dan Quinn came in 2015. So after that draft, they let this motherfucker draft two more times. And by 2014, you know he was trash. You fired the coach going into 2015, but you killed the bum GM. After that draft, after knowing that, after nobody in that draft was on the team, because you know what else they had? Another draft like that. The 2010 draft, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure, was just as bad. Well, not just as bad, because it was better than this. There are very few drafts in NFL history that can be There are very few drafts in NFL history that can be worse than this. So like you may get a motherfucker who okay, they hit a high and flamed out. But you to get nobody on this lasted over five over three years in the league. Like for nobody else. Nobody even wanted them. They were so bad nobody even wanted them. Motherfuckers at least come and go to another team, stick around for two years. The most mother- the most wanted motherfuckers was our six and seven round pick. Twenty ten should be next. It's amazing. It's amazing. I speak I ain't got no words for it. You knew it bad, you didn't know it did bad. No bad, no no it did bad. It was terrible. And that guy's still in the business. He's still in the business of drafting for your favorite team. No, 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 no. I, I, I've already... I, I like uh, I like Tampa Bay this shit. I'm with Tom Brady. Ah, you still a Falcon fan. <laughs> they don't make it easy for you. Can't be one. You, you can't be a Falcon fan. You have to be a Falcon watcher. You can't be a fan of the team. You got to just be like, oh, oh the game is on. I'm watching the game. I'm a say, just be a Falcon realist. That's what I say, Falcon realist. The, the late, great MLB said all the time, they don't deserve, deserve your fanhood. And just like these is why. Imagine you went 10 and 6, you was on the cusp or something. And you take a step back with this kind of draft. You take two steps back. You take a step back and you solidify a step back. Solid step back with this draft. Like, 
You can't. You can't have this. So, case of Rasta Tell a friend to tell a friend. Twenty ten coming up. I'm sure, right? Thank you. If you want, do you want to make this a series? Yeah, let's make it a series. Twenty ten. Thank you guys for listening. This has been DigitalDaring.com. Make sure to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend.